You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. on the throne and you reign over every square inch of this universe and God we come before you not only as servants but as sons and daughters God and you have set us free God in the gospel you have given us life and God I pray that in this time now you would continue to bring new life God we pray that your spirit would be here in this place God continually God I pray that your spirit would open up hearts and open up ears God and I pray that you would Be with my mouth, God, that as I declare your word, it would be an encouragement to your people. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys can take a seat. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah chapter 2. And we're going to be taking a break from our series in Galatians to study this great chapter in the book of Jonah. And if you don't have a Bible here tonight, you can just raise your hand and one of the ushers would love to get a copy of God's word to you so that you can follow along. Now, this past summer, I had the amazing privilege of marrying the most wonderful woman in the earth. But not only did I marry the most wonderful woman on the earth, I married into a family that lives in the most wonderful place on the earth. I got to marry into a family that lives in Hawaii. So I don't know about you, but when I visit my in-laws, it's literally like a vacation. I go, there's the beach, there's the sun, I get a tan, it's absolutely wonderful. And a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to visit there for an extended period of time. And if you ever get the chance to go to Hawaii, one thing you have to do is try to learn how to surf. And so one morning, uh, my wife, her brother, and myself went out to this beach, this beautiful beach, and, and we got our surfing gear on, we put the boards in the water, we swam out to where the, the waves were just perfect for a beginner like me. And it seemed like everything was perfect in the world. The sand was beautiful. The ocean was so blue. The, 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 the sun was shining. The breeze was just perfect. And it didn't seem like anything could go wrong in the world. But all of a sudden, we hear something. And so we look up onto the beach and we see this lifeguard barreling down the the beach on on an ATV, calling us in, shouting, waving his arms frantically. And so I don't know about you, when, when I'm hundreds of feet from the shore with a lifeguard waving his hands, calling me in, the one thing I'm thinking about, it's a shark attack. It's a shark attack. And I'm instantly regretting last year when I spent so much time watching Shark Week because now I know like six or seven ways it's going to come up and tear my legs apart. And so in a moment, this, this peaceful moment, this moment that was filled with tranquility became a moment of distress. And so we swam as fast as we could to the shore. And when we got to the shore, thankful that our feet are now on the sand, we're panting. Our, our hearts are beating. The lifeguard simply instructs us that no, it wasn't a shark. No, it wasn't even a, a current that was going to rip us out to sea. No, it was just we had... We had drifted onto private property. And so there was nothing, there was no distress. But experience like this happen in our lives. Where we're going along, everything seems good. Everything seems to be going fine. But in an instant, distress comes hard. Although this this moment in Hawaii for me was but a few seconds, some of us in this room are going through distress. That's not just a few seconds. That's not just a few minutes or a few hours, but it's days, weeks, and even months. And often in our time, 
in our lives. We're gonna come into periods of distress. And maybe for you, it's, it's financial distress. A bill came in the, the mail this week and you have no idea how you're gonna pay it. Maybe it's relationships distress. Maybe you're, you've been working on this relationship, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a, a distant family member and everything was just going right. But all of a sudden, things are making no progress. You've just hit a wall. Maybe it's a, a, a spiritual distress where this sin that keeps coming into your life, you feel no hope, you feel like you can't conquer it. And if you're not in distress today, you're gonna be feeling because so much of what it means to live in a fallen world as a fallen human being is to experience distress. And in the middle of distress, we, have, we as human beings have the choice. We can fall into distress in hopelessness, in self-pity, in despair, or we can fall into the arms of loving God and find hope in our distress. And here in our study of the book of Jonah, we're going to see a man in the midst of great distress finding hope and deliverance from the God who saves. And we're going to jump in in chapter 1, verse 17. But before we do that, I just want to summarize the story up to this point. The, the book of Jonah opens up with this call to Jonah from the Lord saying, Arise and go. Arise and go. Go to this great city of Nineveh. Their, their sins have risen up to me. And so God showing his heart for the nation, showing that he does not delight in the death of the wicked, he calls Jonah, his prophet, to go to preach, to, to call them to repentance so that his salvation can take place. But Jonah says no. Jonah, seeing a clear, direct, simple command, says no. And Jonah was called to go east, and Jonah went west. And Jonah boards a ship. And he is so at peace with his rebellion against God that he goes to the, the bottom of the ship and he falls asleep. And so he's sleeping, but as he sleeps, this, this great storm arises. And so the sailors are freaking out. They've never experienced a storm like this. And so they're, they're crying out to their gods and eventually they get to Jonah and they, they wake him up and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and Jonah tells them who he is and who his God is. And they come to the conclusion that the only way they're gonna get out alive is if they throw Jonah off the boat. And this is where we pick up the story here today. Jonah has been cast into the sea. The waves are crushing in around him. His darkness is surrounding him. His lungs scream for air but get no relief. Life is draining from his body. Yet in the middle of all this distress, Jonah will find hope because he calls out to God. And in this message, we are going to learn why God's people always can find hope in distress. And so you can turn with me to Jonah Chapter 1, verse 17, and it says this, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, 
I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so here in this story, we're going to see three reasons. Three reasons why God's people can always have hope in our distress. And the first reason is this. Number one, we can find hope in our distress because God's providence is present. Because God's providence is present. And God's providence is one of the major themes throughout the book of Jonah. And it's one of the most comforting, one of the most encouraging truths about God's work in this world. And up on the screen for you is a helpful definition of providence. It says, the constant care for an absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. And so that's what providence is, the, the constant care for and God's absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. And God's providence works on a macro scale. God is in control of all of human history, all of the events that happen in this world. God is in control. And so as we look at all the chaos we see in the world, God is in control. But not only does it work on a macro level, it also works on a micro level. And all the, all the events happening in your life, all the little details, God is in control of your life. Not a hair falls from our head without permission from our heavenly Father. And so God is intimately involved with all of creation and each and every one of our lives. God protects us, preserves us, delivers us, leads us, fulfills his promises towards us. And nothing in our lives is out of the control of our Father in heaven. But so often in the midst of struggles, we forget this. And whether it's our flesh, whether it's the world around us, whether it's the devil himself, we are, tr we are tempted to think that God has abandoned us, but he never has and he never will. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's who the Lord is. He is our shepherd. And we need to believe that and we're going to see it in Jonah's life. Check out verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so as soon as Jonah started running, as soon as he rebelled against God, and, and against God the fish followed and we see this beautiful picture where we're just as Jonah was cast out and to see this was where the fish was now immediately when we read this story with kind of our modern scientific lenses on we have a hard time believing this and we have a couple questions like what type of fish could this have been could this happen today could we test this somehow and, and if you were to go into work on Monday and, and say what did you do this weekend and you reply well I went to church and I heard a message from the book of Jonah, you might get some odd looks. Like, you believe that? Like, how could you believe that story? And for many people, stories like Jonah and stories like this in the Bible present a huge stumbling block. And that is because for many people in our culture today, the idea of miracles is simply impossible. And you see, there's this philosophy in our culture that's dominating the minds of men and women all over the place. And this is called naturalism. Naturalism. Naturalism is the idea that the universe, the physical, material universe is all there is and all there ever was. There's nothing outside the universe, nothing above the universe. And because there's nothing outside of the universe, because there's nothing outside, there's no God controlling everything. Miracles aren't even improbable. They're actually impossible. By definition, miracles can't take place. So when we read here in our text that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and then was in the belly of the whale for Three days and three nights, that seems absurd. But we need to understand that we are, are operating in totally different worldviews. 
And this naturalism is often assumed, but it's not argued. It's often presupposed, but not proven. It's in direct conflict and contradiction with the biblical understanding of reality. And so naturalism cannot account for the beginning of the universe. It cannot account for the fine-tuning of the universe. It cannot account for objective moral values. None of this can naturalism account for. And more than that, naturalism plunges humanity into meaninglessness, insignificance, and worthlessness. And even their own holders of this view think this way. Look at it on the screen. It says, is there a God? No. What is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? Ditto, there is none. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. And so when you push out God, you push out miracles. But when you push out God, it's like knocking down the first domino in a worldview and other things fall too. You know what falls? Meaning, significance, and worth. So why would you want to live in this universe? And more importantly, can you live in this universe? It's actually unlivable. You cannot live like this. So we need to understand that naturalism doesn't pose a threat, that we can stand firm on the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything after that just fits. And so we can, we can come to our friends, we can come to our colleagues with, with confidence in God's word, confidence in the supernatural God of the universe. But the great fish isn't what the story's all about. And so many times when we think about the book of Jonah, we think about the fish. But the great fish is pointing to a great God. And this great God is in control. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is providentially working all of our steps. And we see this in Jonah's life, verse 17. And and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And notice the word appointed. It's very significant. It has the idea of provided prepared, arranged, ordained, sent. And this word is significant because it underlines the fact that in all of the events in Jonah's life, God is there and God is in control, directing everything according to his plan. And this isn't the first time we see God's providence in the book of Jonah. Notice in chapter one, verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And so as Jonah ran, God wasn't done with him yet. That's such a comforting truth. When we run away from God, he's not done with them yet. And God literally did a supernatural work in nature to get Jonah back. He's he's providentially working. Look at chapter four, verse six. It says, now the Lord God appointed a plant. Again, it's God's providence over Jonah's life. And we need to understand that what is true of Jonah is also true of us. That in all the little details of our lives, God's invisible hand of providence is at work directing Everything, And this should add significance to all the many ordinary things going on in our life. And so much of our lives seemingly just ordinary, just insignificant. But knowing that God is directing every minute of every day, the people you just bump into, the random phone calls you get, all of that is in the providence of God. And I think we as Christians have the ability to see God's hand in our lives, particularly when blessings come. And so things are going good at work. Things are going well in marriage. The the parenting is top notch. And we can see, yeah, God is good. And God is in control. And there's a blessing in my life. And we fit that all together and it's great. But it's harder for us as human beings to fit God's goodness and God's providence together when it's a hardship that's come in our life. But this is what Jonah does. Look at verse three in chapter two. It says, for you cast me into the deep 
into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and all your billows. And so Jonah recognizes the reality that it was God who was in control. If you turn back to chapter 1, verse 15, look what it says. It says, so they picked up, the sailors, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And so in chapter 1, who throws Jonah into the sea? It's the sailors. But who's Jonah acknowledging his prayer that cast him into the sea? He says God. And so is there a contradiction here? No, what's happening is Jonah, behind all of these human events happening in his life, sees the invisible hand of God's providence. Your, you cast me into the deep on your waves and your billows. And this is true not only of the good things, but of the trials and the temptations. And this should give us hope. This should give us hope because in the midst of trial, when distress floods into our lives, it's not random, it's not insignificant, it has meaning and purpose because God is in control. Every moment of every day is filled with abundant meaning, purpose, because God is working. And God's God's word tells us what he's doing in these moments. He's providing us with endurance. He's refining us, he's purifying, he's humbling us, and he even disciplines us like a father disciplines a son. But ultimately, God is working all things together to make us more like Jesus. And that's the great promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And the great promise here is not that God will provide us with wealth. That's not the good. It's not health, it's not any sort of worldly success, but in the context, he's talking the good is being conformed into the image of Christ. And so in, in order to embrace these moments in our lives, and this is hard, this is hard because we as human beings crave comfort, we crave ease, so much of our lives are, are built around making it as easy as possible, but we can embrace distress and trouble when we get our eyes to see the beauty of Christ's likeness in our lives because when we do that and it's hard when we do that we will welcome anything that comes into our lives that makes us more like him and so often this takes resistance it takes resistance and so you go to the gym how do you get stronger if you went to the gym for a year and week one you did 100 pounds on the squat and then week two you did 95 then week three you did 90 then week four you did 85 and you kept going backwards would you get stronger of course not You wouldn't get stronger, but if you slowly progress and you slowly build resistance, your body will adapt and it will get stronger. And it's the same thing in our lives. We need the resistance that God brings. And the wonderful thing is that God isn't like that dopey personal trainer where you go for the first time and they load up all the weight and you're injured for like two weeks and you're sore for like four. God isn't like that. God is the perfect trainer and he knows exactly how much we need in every circumstance to make us more like Jesus. And notice that this distress, this resistance can come into our lives for so many different reasons. It can come because someone sins against us. It can come just because we live in a fallen and corrupt world. But notice how it comes into Jonah's life here. For Jonah, the resistance has come upon him is the direct result of his own disobedience to God. If he had obeyed God, if he had gone to Nineveh, he would not be in this mess. But this gives us insight into one of the most beautiful truths that even when the distress comes on account of our own sin, God is working to redeem us as 
Father and bring us back home. And J.I. Packer sums this up so well on the screen for you. It says, our God is a God who not merely restores, but takes up our mistakes and follies into his plan for us and brings good out of them. So even the trials, even the distress that come upon you because of your own sin, God is working through them for your good. And some of you have experienced this. Some of you can look back on your life and see that, yeah, I, I sinned, and there were consequences to that sin, but I wouldn't be the person I was today if God didn't move. And some of us are facing trials today because of our own sin, and we need to trust that God is moving. And so in the midst of Jonah's trial, he's going to flee towards the presence of the Lord and cry out to him in prayer to find hope. And that leads us to our second point tonight. Number two, we can find hope in our distress because God's ears are open. God's ears are open. Look at verse one there. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord and out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. And so Jonah, in his helplessness, in his hopelessness, with water pulling him towards the bottom, turns to the Lord and pray. And notice he doesn't pray in vain. Look at verse two, it says, he answered me. He heard my voice. And look down at verse seven, it says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And again, this isn't unique to Jonah's experience. This is the privilege that every Christian has. And so we can come to a God whose ears are open, whose ears are open who, and who answers the cries of his children. I think we as humans have this natural desire that when trouble hits, that when distress hits, we just need to bear our soul to another person. So you may have experienced this. Your, your spouse or a family member or a friend has just had a terrible day, just a dreadful day. And immediately when you talk to them, you know something's wrong. There's something up. And a moment happens when they, they just start talking. And all they want in the world is someone just to listen, just to care. And so they, they pour out their soul to you. And this is something that I think as a community of believers, we need to pursue just a, a real uh, understanding of how to listen. I think so many things in our culture are happening because people don't know how to listen to each other. So this is a beautiful skill, but I think at the heart of the Christian, for the child of God, we have this longing to pour out our heart to God. And notice what Jonah says here, that he answered me. God's ears are open to his people. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And if you are found in Christ, you need to know that in those moments, where it's hard to sleep, when the, the moments in your life are just racing through your head, when tears are, are, are staining your pillow, that God's ears are open to you. And I think some of us think that when those moments happen, when those trials take place, that somehow something's going wrong in our Christian life. And something is putting us outside of the normal Christian experience. But we need to understand that in those moments, when we're pouring out our hearts to God, even with tears that we are never more like Jesus. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 7 on the screen for you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his 
reverence. And so Jesus can sympathize with us. He knows what it is to experience suffering. He knows what it is to experience distress. He knows and he can sympathize with us. And we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? That the night before Jesus was crucified, he's bearing his soul out to his father. It says he's sweating drops of blood. And he's crying out to the Lord, Father, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. But may your will be done. And we know what the story. We know that the cup was drinking by Jesus. And in the cup was the wrath of God towards sin. And on the cross, Jesus is bearing the wrath of God for all of his people's sin. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And think about this. These words should be ringing in our ears. The eternal son of God the one who sustains the universe by the word of his power, the, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the, the Messiah who lived in perfect community with the Father every single day of his life, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we need to understand that because Jesus cried that out, that we who are found in Christ will never have to because God's ears are forever open. He will never abandon us. The promise is he will never leave nor forsake me. And this ought to give us hope in our distress. And it did for Jonah. Jonah put all his hope and trust in the Lord who gave him life from the pit. Look at verse four. It says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the, at the roots of mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And so Jonah understood that even though the trouble had come, that distress had entered his life, he could have hope because God's ears are open. And notice there's a, a pattern here in Jonah's prayer. There's a pattern here in Jonah's prayer. He recounts the, the great distress he faced, but then he accounts the great redemption he has in the Lord. And so why is he doing this? Why is he praying like this? It's because he's showing the greatness of his distress so that he can contrast with an even greater God. And notice how much distress he is in. Notice the language he uses in verse three. It says, he's cast into the deep. Floods are surrounding him. Verse five, waters closed in over him, weeds wrapped around his head. Verse six, and the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's like a prison. The bars are closed around him. Verse seven, life literally fainting away. And so you can imagine him fluttering in between consciousness, just crying out to the Lord. And so often in our distress, our perspective can get all mixed up. Our perspective can get all mixed up and out of focus. And as we focus on the trial and how large it seems to loom over us, we forget about the God who looms over the entire universe. I don't know about you, but I had the opportunity to go to BC. And at, in BC, there's mountains, mountains like you've never seen before. They just stretch from horizon to horizons. You can't even not see them. They're everywhere. You, you look at the window of your car, there's a mountain. Now, if you were standing in front of a mountain, and you put your hand in front of your head, could you see the mountain? Well, yeah, of course, you could see the mountain. It's huge. But what if you slowly, inch by inch, moved your hand closer to your eyes? Well, there would be a point where you can't see the mountain anymore. 
Now we have to ask the question, is the mountain bigger or is my hand bigger? Well, of course the mountain is bigger. And so what's going on here? How come I can't see the mountain? It's because when the, the, my hand gets close, I lose perspective. And so often in our trials, the, the trouble can come so close. We can get so focused on our distress that we lose sight of the God behind it. It seems so big. It seems so massive, so gigantic. It's impossible to have hope. But notice when Jonah remembers the Lord, and of this great distress he is facing, he is a God who is greater than it all. And, we, when, and when we, like Jonah, remember the Lord and pray, the perspective begins to change, and the trial shrinks beside the greatness and goodness of our God. And look back at the prayer. Look back at the prayer that Jonah prays. Notice how similar it seems to so many of the Psalms. And there's actually a debate among scholars. Is, is he quoting the Psalms? Is he quoting the Psalms? Maybe. And so we notice that it really does look like the Psalms. Look at Psalm 18, 5 and 6 on the screen. It says, The cords of death encompassed me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. It sounds very familiar. Look at Psalm 69, 1 and 2. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. But notice that, yeah, they're similar, but none of them are the same. So what's happening here? Well, just as we are trying to find encouragement from the story of Jonah, Jonah found encouragement from the Psalms. So he was a prophet of God. He was immersed in God's word. He was saturated with God's word such that when he prayed, it sounded like God's word. And that should be true of each and every one of us. We should be steeped in God's word. And when you're making a tea, if you get the, 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 the water boiled, it's nice and hot. There's steam coming off. If you just dab the tea bag in and pull it back out, that's some weak tea. That is not good tea. But if you let it sit and you let it steep, the color begins to change. And it's strong tea. And we in the Christian life, we want to be strong tea. We don't just want to have the word of God kind of pop into our minds and pop out. No, we want our minds to be renewed and our hearts to be refreshed, steeping continually, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And when we do that, not only will we see the providence of God on every page, not only will we see that God's ears are open, we'll also see that God's love is steadfast. And that leads us to our third and final point tonight. Number three. We can find hope in our distress because God's love is steadfast. So in our distress, God's providence isn't only present, not only are God's ears open, but throughout everything, God's love is steadfast. And look at how Jonah ends his prayer here in, in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so jo Jonah ends this prayer pointing out that in our distress there are two paths we can take. We can, we can trust in the Lord or we can trust in idols. And notice here how he describes the idols. He calls them vain. Those who pay regard to vain idols. And so this idea of vain means worthless, useless, and profitable can give you no help in trouble. And this really was the anthem cry of Ecclesiastes that all of these idols are vanity. Whether it's pleasure, whether it's power, whether it's possessions, all of these without God, pursued as idols, will not help in times of distress. And so often these are the things we pursue 
in our distress. We pursue pleasure. We want to seek after pleasure to drown out all the pain. And so maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's even pornography. We just want pleasure so we can drown out the pain. Maybe it's possessions. We think that if we can build this, this wall of luxury around our lives, nothing can touch us. If, that, if my bank account hits that number, I will never have distress. Maybe it's power. Maybe we're trying to micromanage every little part of our lives so that nothing is out of our control. All of these are idols. And notice what Jonah says. All of them are vain and will give no help in trouble. And not only are they vain, but when we pursue them, notice he says we forsake something and we forsake the hope of steadfast love. And this is just so beautiful. Not only does God love us, but notice how it's described. It's a steadfast love. It's loyal. It's a love that's committed, consistent, unwavering, immovable, reliable, fixed. A love that is as deep as the ocean, as wide as the skies. This is the love that God has for you. And Jonah here makes his choice between idol and God. And he runs to the Lord. Look at what he says. But I with the voice of thanksgiving. And that is so key. Thanksgiving and gratitude in the midst of trial is so important. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And so he runs to God in worship. Why does he do it? Well, look at how verse 9 ends. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so Jonah has experienced the salvation of God. And so he offers worship in thanksgiving. He sacrifices and makes vows. And notice how this salvation looked in the life of Jonah. It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The fish is the amazing grace that, that took Jonah out of the deep and gave him new life. Many times we read the story and we think jo- the fish is a means of judgment towards Jonah, but it's actually a, a means of salvation. And this is what the steadfast love of the Lord does. This is what the steadfast love of the Lord, it, it provides salvation. God's salvation is always rooted in his perfect character. And salvation that God provides is a fruit of his steadfast love towards his people. And we need to see here that God has a monopoly on salvation. There's nowhere else you can go for salvation. All of the other idols are vain. There's nothing to them. Only God provides salvation. And he provides the salvation because he has a steadfast love towards his people. And we see this throughout the entire Bible. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, he could have destroyed the entire thing. But what did he do? No, he provided a means of salvation. He gave this promise. Why? Because he has a steadfast love towards his people. And and Israel finds its way into Egypt and and they're in distress. What does he do? He redeems them out. Why? Because he has a steadfast love towards them. And then we see in the law and the prophets, all of this pointing to this great salvation because God's love is steadfast towards his people. And yet when salvation came, when Jesus came onto the scene, many doubted. This wasn't the salvation they were looking for. And notice what Jesus says to them. They wanted signs. They wanted miraculous signs. But Jesus tells them the only sign they shall receive is the sign of Jonah. Notice what he says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus makes this link between what happened in Jonah's life and what's happening in Jesus' life. And this is the sign, the sign of Jonah. And notice how Jesus ends 
this piece of scripture, he says, one greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah was placed in distress on account of his own sin. Jesus was placed in distress for the sins of the world. Jonah was entombed in a fish. Jesus was entombed in life itself. Jonah was spit up into dry land. Jesus was risen from the dead in new life, indestructible life, eternal life. And the message that Jonah preached saved a city. But the message of Christ saves the world. And the message of Jonah just saved one group of people. But the message of Jesus saves people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And we see a beautiful picture of the success of that salvation in Revelation chapter 7 when, when John sees this multitude, a multitude that no one can number. And they're all around the throne crying out to the Lord. And you know what they're saying? They're echoing this cry of Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord our God and to the Lamb. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe in the gospel, this is the hope we have of steadfast love. And your trial, this distress you find yourself in, it has a time limit, but your salvation goes on into eternity. And this is the gospel. This is the greatest expression of God's love. There's a song I love. It says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And the book of Romans tells us that nothing, no distress can separate us from the love of Christ. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your faith in this salvation that God has done, you can find hope in distress because God's steadfast love floods into your life. And when the love of God floods into your life, you will find hope in distress. And so in Christ, we can find hope in distress because God's providence is present. God's ears are open and God's love is steadfast. And so if you're a believer here tonight, this should encourage you that in the midst of your distress, God is in control and he's making you more like Jesus. And as you're going through the trial, he hears your cries, he hears your prayers and his love is never absent from you. And so you can cling to the promises that he will never leave, never forsake you. But if you're not a believer here tonight, if you haven't trusted in Christ, notice the word of Jonah here for you is that you are putting your faith and trust and hope in vain idols that have no worth that will not help in times of need. But the beautiful thing is that the salvation of God is, comes freely. It's by grace through faith. If you put your faith and Jesus, tonight, you can find hope in distress. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we can find hope, that the Christian always has hope. God, that you are working, that you are continually listening to our prayers, that you love when we cast our anxieties on you, for you care for us. And God, I pray that we would know, that we would press on to know the, the steadfast love of the Lord. And God, I pray that this would so encourage us, so comfort us, so give us hope in all our trials. And God, we pray as we sing this song, we would believe it, that in Christ alone, our hope is found. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.